0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. That was quite the intro. Perfect for the kids pastor, I guess. Um, And I don't know, Andrew has done an amazing job putting Chris in all kinds of different places, his sabbatical. So I don't think he even knows all the places he's been, but we'll have to make sure he finds out when he gets back. Um, So yes, I wanted to let you know I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. I'm also happy to tell you that next week Pastor Chris will be back. Totally okay to clap. It does not offend me at all if you're excited that he's back. That is fine. We're all... Very excited that he is coming back again. We hope that he's had a re- refreshing and recharging sabbatical. Pastor Chris Godfrey has done an amazing job leading in Pastor Chris's absence. I don't know if he's in here, but yes. We're so thankful for his leadership during this time. And we will be very excited to welcome Pastor Chris back. Our staff is a pretty uh, tight knit group, we're kind of like a family. And so when someone's gone for an extended amount of time, we definitely feel the absence, and so it'll be really great for us to welcome him back this week. Speaking of welcoming people, Pastor Cream already did it, but seventh graders, welcome to the adult service. Sorry you get me again. (laughs) I know, I I did warn them last week. I'm like, guess who's preaching in the adult service? This girl. So I'll be out of your hair soon, though. So just hopefully you can bear, bear with me for one more week. All right, we've been talking about the Psalms this summer, and looking at them to see how they apply to our lives and how they transform us as followers of Jesus. And today I'm going to talk to you about Psalm 42. And we're going to first start by reading it in its entirety. It's 11 verses, so just bear with me, and we're going to get through it together, and then we're going to talk about it. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me, or you can read it on the screens. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So let's go over some background first in this psalm. The psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. And if you know your Old Testament history, you know that Korah was a man that was alive during the time that Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness. And he decided to lead a rebellion against Moses. And he convinced 250 other people to join him in this. And since you don't really hear much about him after that, you realize he was not successful. He actually was put to death along with all those other people that he led into the rebellion. But evidently, his sons were spared. And so we have these descendants of Korah now that are living. And this is in the time of King David. And the the sons of Korah were part of the tribe of Levi. So they were part of the temple worshipers. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be disappointed, frustrated that I was known as the family from the guy who led the revolt, like, years and years and years ago. So this was probably difficult for them to be known. She would have just told them, they're from the tribe of Levi, and just kind of glossed over it. But, no, they're the sons of Korah. So this was kind of a distinct, a distinct title for them. And yet, they were in charge of worshiping and leading people in praise. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic we have going on here. But I have a feeling that these men were very familiar with difficult situations. And most people agree that the actual Psalm was penned around the time that King David was running for his life from Absalom. So his son Absalom was wanting to take the throne and was staging revolts, stirring up all kinds of trouble. So King David had to flee from Jerusalem took some of his loyal followers with him, probably the sons of Korah as as well, went with him, and they're far away from Jerusalem, they're far away from their home, they're far away from the temple, and they're looking back in disappointment and sadness and mourning their situation, and that's where we find Psalm 42, and that is kind of the background of where it was written. Before we get into the details of the psalm, I want to share with you why I personally chose this psalm. This psalm became very meaningful to me back when we were shut down from in-person church because of COVID uh, for those six, seven weeks that that we were online. And I really loved and appreciated the streaming services that we had that kept us connected. But nothing could replace the actual communion of being together in person worshiping God. And especially as a children's pastor, I missed your kids so much. Now up here on a Sunday morning, this is for the most part pretty one-sided interaction um i'm up here talking and you're listening hopefully you're listening if you're not tune back in with me okay um hopefully you're listening and besides like maybe a laugh every now and then or an amen or preach it from you i don't really get a lot of interaction here okay but in kids ministry there's a lot of interaction between me and them and there's times of like hanging out with them and talking to them and so I prepared online messages for them during the shutdown and I was happy to do that and happy that they could see my face at least. But there was nothing like actually being in the room with them, interacting with them, and asking them questions about what we're learning and checking their understanding of it and even getting onto them when they're misbehaving, all of that was missing. And so in verse 2, when the psalmist says, when can I go and meet with God? And he says again, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. All of those things resonated with me. And not because I didn't think that God's presence could only be found at church. You know, God's presence is everywhere. But I missed that really important aspect of worshiping together as a community of believers. And the psalmist was missing that too. And so as I, as I studied this further, I discovered there was even more things about this chapter that resonated with my heart, and I pray also that will resonate with your heart today. But something I really like about this psalm is it's a representation of our everyday lives. It's ups and downs and highs and lows, and if you read through it, one moment he's happy, one moment he's sad, one moment he's, in, he's on the top of the mountain, one moment he's in despair. And that's the way our life goes. We have ups and downs and highs and lows, but through it all, we see a constant presence of God and his faithfulness and his love and that's what the psalmist was seeing too and so today rather than going verse by verse by verse because it would just be kind of a roller coaster ride I'm gonna pull out the lows of what the psalmist was experiencing and then we're gonna pull out the highs of the things he knew about God and we're gonna take all that together and I'm, go- I'm gonna pray that those things will resonate with your heart as he did with mine as I was planning and preparing for this message So the first thing we want to talk about are the lows, the lows that the psalmist was going through. So we already kind of referenced it. He was longing to be in God's presence. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And it says, verses 1 and 2, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He shows us here a picture of a deep, deep thirst for God's presence and charles spurgeon describes it really well when he says the enjoyment of communion with god was an urgent need of his soul he viewed it not merely as the sweetest of all luxuries but as an absolute necessity like water to a stag he knew that he needed god's presence just like he needed water another thing that he was experiencing is that he was surrounded by negativity he was surrounded by negativity He says in verse 3, he says, people say to me all day long, where's your God? Verse 10, he says, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? And I hope you don't have friends like that in your life, that when you go through something they say, well, where's God right now? Hopefully you have people that encourage you and, and speak good words to you. But this psalmist was surrounded by people who were just kind of like kicking him when he was down. And not only were they not helpful and not encouraging, but they were actually just really helping him to be tempted and believing the lie that God had abandoned him and God didn't care about him anymore. And so he's in this space, too, where he's fighting all this negativity while he's also going through a time of wanting God's presence and not being able to get where he needs to be, which is also the next thing he was experiencing. He was feeling isolated. He was isolated from his normal routine where he would go and worship. And when, he's, when you're isolated for those kinds of purposes now sometimes we we take time to isolate ourselves to hear from god this is not what we're talking about here we're talking about times where life has pulled you out of what you normally love and enjoy and you have you have found yourself isolated for whatever reason and it could be like a situation our psalmist had it could be even something good like a new job or a baby something like that but you find yourself all of a sudden just isolated where you you don't get to do what you normally do to feed your soul. And that's where he was. And the problem with isolation is it's very dangerous because when we're isolated, we begin to listen to the voice of the enemy telling us lies about ourselves, our circumstances, our situations. And it's very easy to open up our minds to that kind of a thing. And so he was feeling that isolation from spending time in the presence of God. And then the next thing he was experiencing was an unbelievable amount of pressure and distress. despair and he uses some words here to really explain it verse 3 he says my tears have been my food day and night he says my soul is downcast within me in verse 6 and verse 10 says my bones suffer mortal agony so this is some pretty intense despair that he is feeling right now so he paints this picture here of someone who is discouraged who is frustrated who's overwhelmed depressed feeling abandoned feeling isolated so we have all of that over here now sounds like we're about to write a country song but that's not what we're doing we're gonna do a sermon so we're gonna shift from this area here and we're gonna come over to the other side because in this psalm sprinkled amongst the sadness and the despair and the isolation and the depression are some beautiful insights to what the psalmist knows about God and what he is taking to heart and what we need to be reminded of this morning So the first thing that he knows is he knows his hope is found in God. He says it in verse 1. He says, my soul thirsts for God. He knows that God is the only one that can quench the thirst, that the need he has can only be met by God. Verse 5, he says, put your hope in God. Verse 6, he says, my soul is downcast, therefore I will remember you. So he knows that God is the only answer to the hope that he needs. He knows where to go to get his hope restored. The next thing he knows, he knows that worship is the key. That worship is the key to that, the restoration of his, of his soul and his spirit. He says in verse 5 and 11, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's getting his eyes off of his circumstance and he's putting it on God and he knows that he can focus on him. And we, we did that this morning. Every time we worship We're putting aside all of our own needs and desires and frustrations and and everything that's bothering us. And we focus on God. And it reminds us how big God is and reminds us that he's with us and he's faithful and he's present. And so this is what the psalmist knows, that worship is the key to that. Next thing he knows is that he knows he can be honest with God. In verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? He was comfortable enough in his relationship with God that that he knew he could be honest and tell God how he was feeling and even ask him questions. Why is this happening? Why do I feel abandoned? But at the same time, notice he calls God his rock. So he still knows, even in the questioning, even in the not understanding what was going on, he knows that God is his rock and he can trust him and he's faithful. And so he knows those things. Another thing he knows, he knows how to speak to his soul. Verses 5 and 11 again. He says it twice because it's so important. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist determines that he will not surrender to this spiritual depression that's striving to take hold of his thoughts and his emotions. He doesn't let his emotions talk to him. He turns the tables and he speaks to his emotions. And he remembers the things he has seen. He remembers the things that God has done in his life. And he's reminding his soul to focus on those things instead of all the other things that he sees going on around him. And that finally, the last thing he knows, he understands the depths of God. Verse seven says Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. This psalmist is in deep despair and he compares it to being under a waterfall. I don't know how many of you have seen a waterfall in person. They're pretty amazing. We went to Hawaii, my husband and I did a few years ago, and we saw many beautiful waterfalls, and we even took time to hike down to one. And the closer we got to the waterfall, the bigger I realized it was. And we get down there and we, we get down to the bank of the water. We even see some people swimming around at the base of the waterfall, which to me seemed terrifying because you're just closer. And it's just, you, you realize how big and awesome those waterfalls are. But imagine that you're under the waterfall. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, your waves and your breakers have washed over me, have swept over me. He's under the waterfall. And I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of the crazy people who think it's a good idea to take a kayak off a waterfall seen those anywhere I watched some videos I kind of got stuck you know you watch something you just want to keep watching for about 10 minutes I watched people going off on a kayak into a waterfall and they go off and you can't even see them first and they pop up somewhere else down the river I don't know how long they had to hold their breath I don't know I don't like to think about it because it's a terrifying thought but this is what the psalmist is talking about, only he's not popping back up from this plunge down the waterfall. He's under there, under the water, and the waves are crashing. The waves are pressing, pressing him deep, 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 deep into the water. Terrifying thought. A deadly thought if we think about it. Okay, but, it but then he says deep calls to deep. Now this phrase, I always thought, I just read it and kind of move on. What does that actually mean, though? And I did some reading on it. And the psalmist knew that the depth of the pain he was experiencing, the depth of the sadness and the sorrow, he knew that God's presence was still deeper. God's love was deeper still. And I want to read you a quote. This is James Smith and Robert Lee. They've written several um, volumes of biblical commentary. And this is how they describe the idea of deep calling to deep. Between our emptiness and his all-sufficiency, there is a great gulf. Deep calleth unto deep. The deep mercy of God needs our emptiness, into which it might pour itself. Nothing can fully meet the depth of our need, but the depth of his almighty fullness. I want to read that last sentence one more time, because it's one of my favorites. Nothing can fully meet the depth of our need, but the depth of his almighty fullness. So when we find ourselves in deep darkness, deep depression, deep despair, we can be sure that the love of god the presence of god the power of god is deeper still and he'll be there with us and this almost knew that that even in the deep depression he was in god's deep love was there and his deep power was there and his ability to be with him and the same thing for us in our lives he will be with us in those deep moments now, hopefully, for you this morning, you've already kind of listened through it, thinking about your own situation in your own life and made some connections between the psalmist's experience and your experience. But I want to give you a few key things that we can really focus on this morning as we take Psalm 42 to heart in our own personal lives. The first one, especially for those of us who are going through really deep, dark times, the first thing we need to do is we need a thirst for God's presence. We need a thirst for his presence. We know when Jesus talked to the woman at the well and he told her he was the living water. And going to him will satisfy our deepest thirst. So when we're hurting and when we're in pain, we know we can come to him. And he will be there with us. He will be close to us. And when we go through hard times, the answer is not to draw further from God. The answer is to draw near to him. James 4 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He desires to be near you. And we see this all the time when people go through difficult situations, and they kind of withdraw, and they stop going to church, they stop hanging out with their friends, and they just kind of don't really want to be around people. Whether it's it's a thing, it's a maybe it's a question of pride or um, being embarrassed or whatever's going on in the, their life. But the answer is not to 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 go further from God. The answer is to draw closer to Him, to recognize our need for His presence, and to draw close to Him. The other thing that we can learn when we're facing difficult situations is to remember God's faithfulness. The psalmist takes lots of care to remind himself several times that God is faithful. He says God is our rock, God is our savior, and even in the midst of questioning what is going on in our lives, we don't understand what's going on, we can know that he is faithful. We can know that he's with us and he is moving in our lives. Psalm 91.4 says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. God's faithfulness stands firm, and we can trust his faithfulness. And the last thing that we can remember to do when we're going through difficult times is to speak to our souls. And you've probably heard it before, no one talks to you more than you talk to you. And so I I tend to be a person who talks to myself a lot. I don't know if anybody else does. I remember one time my husband and I were, he's already laughing because he knows I'm gonna tell this story. We We were dating and we were walking down the sidewalk of our college, we met at college, and holding hands like we are fully like with each other, hanging out and he looks over and I'm actually having a conversation with myself. I'm just talking away and he looks over at me and I guess I was really comfortable with him, because I, I don't even know what I was talking about, but me and me and me were having a great conversation. And so I always think about that. I talk to myself a lot. So if you ever see me around here, you might I'm sure some of the staff have caught me talking to myself before. Anyway, no one talks to you more than you do. Okay, but the question is, when you're talking to yourself, what are you saying? What are you saying to yourself? Are you letting your circumstances and your emotions dictate the narrative in your mind, or are you speaking words of encouragement and truth over your situation? King David says in Psalm 1 through two, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, a couple things about this idea of speaking to our souls, this is not an act of ignoring what's going on in our lives. If anything, Psalm 42 teaches us that. The psalmist was not ignoring everything. He was addressing head-on his situation, but he was also taking time to remind his soul, trust in God. I will praise the Lord. I will trust him. Okay, something else that speaking to your soul is not, it's not just this little positive affirmation experience. It is a spiritual discipline to speak to our souls and it's a spirit-led moment where we choose to let the holy spirit speak into our hearts the truth of who god is and what he wants to do in our lives it's focusing our minds and our thoughts on god and god's faithfulness and god's truth and his love so i want to invite you to stand and just in a little bit our musicians are going to come back and they're going to lead us in a song lead us in worship and as we worship today we're going to do some of those things that we talked about. We're going to focus on God's faithfulness. We're going to let the Holy Spirit speak words of encouragement into our souls. And I want to ask you to really think for a minute about maybe a deep need that you have. If you have a deep need in your soul, maybe you don't even realize what's down in your deep down in your soul. I want you to do some digging this morning. Think about what is your deepest need that you have. And be, be sure to know that whatever your need is however deep it is God's love is deeper his presence is deeper his power is deeper and he's with you down there and he wants to move in your situation he wants to speak words of encouragement into your heart so this morning as we are worshiping I want to ask you just to spend that time to know that he is with you and he has a plan he is faithful we can trust his faithfulness So let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that there is no depths that we go to that you cannot be there with us. We thank you that your power is deeper than anything we face. Your love is deeper than anything we face. Your faithfulness is true. We can trust you. I pray right now for those in this space who are dealing with deep, dark times in their lives, that they would sense right now, The presence of your spirit in this place. They would sense you with them. They would know that you are faithful, that you are true. They can trust you. And may we begin to speak encouragement into our souls right now to know, God, that you are with us, to know that we can focus on you and to not let our souls be in despair. God, give us this moment. God, we ask this would be a spiritual moment where we focus on you. We focus on who you are and what you've done. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We ask that your spirit would be here. Your spirit would move in a powerful way. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.